continuing our five-week mini-series called Engage the Culture Through the Lens of Genesis. And this is part four. I have the privilege of teaching us this morning. Uh, Evan May has covered parts one through three, dealing with the issues of biblical worldview and issues of sexuality, specifically homosexuality. I thought Evan just did a fantastic job, excellent job. Those are all recorded if you've missed those. I encourage you to not only listen to them, but use them as reference points as well to refer back to as appropriate tone, just helpful in our understanding of what the Bible has to say to these issues as they become increasingly common uh, in our culture. Today I'm going to cover the issue of sanctity of life through the lens of Genesis. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the issue of Islam through the lens of Genesis. Before I begin, um, well, I think what I'm going to be speaking about this morning, I just want to say, it can be uncomfortable. Uh, I think for many of us, I think it can even be painful for some of us and even unbearable. Uh, as I said, the topic is the sanctity of life, and specifically, we're going to be looking at the issue of abortion. So, to the women in this room or who are listening online who have experienced abortion, and the men who may have encouraged it, I think this message maybe difficult to hear, maybe painful, or even anxious in your heart uh, to hear this, but I want you to know the aim of this message is not to condemn or make you miserable. I don't think that's the desire of the Savior either. Listen to these words from Jesus to you, to all of us this morning in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. This is just by way of introduction, verse 10, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And here's what God wants to remind all of, this, all of us this morning. Jesus came to call sinners, not, not the righteous, but the ones who recognize their need for forgiveness. Not the ones who think that they are morally superior to others, but ones who say, I need a savior, I need forgiveness, I need healing. And forgiveness is our starting point this morning. 
It's what we all need. Every one of us in this room, whether we think we do or not, we need forgiveness. And that's true for all of us. And we don't just stay there. Christ has come to forgive us. Those of us who were once in sin, he's brought into light. He's made us saints. He's made us holy and chosen ones. And he's brought us into his marvelous light that we may engage the darkness around us, that we may expose the darkness around us. And that's what this session about this morning is all about. We want to expose and engage darkness, especially the murder of millions of unborn children. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, I pray for you to speak to your people this morning. Lord, comfort us. Lord, encourage us. Equip us. Lord, and send us out to extend your forgiveness to extend your love and your mercy to a lost and dying world. Father, we need you for this. Apart from you, we, we can't do anything. We're asking for your power to be present, your grace to be active, your mercy to be real in our lives this morning as we look at this issue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a lot has happened in our busy lives since, night, since 2009, but who in here remembers Balloon Boy? Nobody. We got a couple hands. You guys remember Balloon Boy? Yeah, a few hands there. Christian author and, and editor of the Gospel Coalition, Justin Taylor, gives us a short version of this story I wanted to open up with this morning. It goes like this, a publicity-hungry amateur scientist father of three pulled off a hoax that captured the attention of America. On October 15, 2009, Richard Heen released a large gray helium balloon that looked like a UFO from the 1950s movie. Then he called the authorities to report that his nine-year-old son, Falcon, was trapped inside. As the balloon floated some 50 miles across the Colorado sky, newsrooms across America sprang into action. People prayed, emergency medical teams stood by, police squads were mobilized. Denver International Airport was shut down. Several National Guard helicopters were in hot pursuit of this balloon. And as the helium began to sink, the balloon eventually crashed into the field. Rescuers made a mad dash to lessen the blow, then to save the boy's life, if he was still alive. And as it turned out, there was no one inside the balloon. <laughs> a manhunt was quickly organized, thinking that perhaps Falcon had fallen out of the balloon earlier. But then came word that Falcon, indeed, was safe and sound at home. He'd been hiding, per his father's instruction, in the family attic. He got sleepy, 
had fallen asleep and awoke a few hours later to a media frenzy. He went to sleep as Falcon and awoke as Balloon Boy. Obviously, this is not a message about balloons, hoaxes, and men who use their children as pawns to pitch a reality TV show. It's about abortion, one of the most painful and politicized issues in our public discourse. So what exactly does the killing of a baby in the womb have to do with the boy in the balloon? You might wonder. I began with the story for this reason. It helps us focus our attention on the crucial question. What's in there? What's, what's in there? Justin Taylor continues, if, if, if we believe there is a human being within that balloon, we will stop at nothing to protect and preserve that life. We will shut down airports. We will send out helicopters. We'll stop at nothing. No amount of money or energy or equipment is too big. We must do everything we can to preserve and protect the life of a fellow human being in distress. Likewise, if we believe that what is growing inside of a woman's womb is a fellow human being, should we not think the same? If the balloon is merely filled with air, or if the womb is merely occupied with a clump of cells, then no action is needed. Knowing what's inside makes all the difference in the world. And this leads to our first question. What, what's in there? As we're talking about the sanctity of life, we need to talk about what is in the womb. How would, how would you answer that question? Where would you go? Your, your answer to that question is going to be based on your worldview. That's why we're doing this class. We want to equip you with a biblical worldview, specifically through the lens of Genesis. Your answer to that question is going to be based on what you believe to be true about the world you live in. Evan did a great job teaching on this in session one, right? If you guys remember, he taught about a biblical worldview, what that looks like. This is just by way of reminder. I want to bring us back to this before we start launching into this talk, because your worldview is crucial to your understanding of the world you live in. If you look at the quote there by Francis Schaeffer in your notes, it says, People function on the basis of their worldview more consistently than even they themselves may realize. The problem is not outward things. The problem is having and then acting upon the right worldview. The worldview which gives men and women the truth of what is. We, we all have a worldview. All of us come wired with that. We come equipped with that. The question is, is it a right one or a wrong one? Does it give us truly the truth of what is? Does it give you the truth of what is inside the womb? Oh, my. <laughs> a little scary. I'm just going to keep going in faith here. 
<laughs> um, guys, the only truth that we're going to encounter in this world, the only truth we have is found in our Bible. And if we are to think rightly about the sanctity of life, we must think biblically. We must think Christianly. We must think in a way that's informed and shaped and governed by the truth of God's word. So how does God's word answer that question that we're asking? What's in there? What does the Bible say? And this is where we turn to Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. If you could turn in your Bibles there, provides the starting point for us this morning. Lord, we pray for those traveling, that you would keep them safe. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. This is our starting point. This will launch us into the, the teaching this morning. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what is inside the womb? What's in there? What we see in scripture is the answer of a sacred life of a human being. A sacred life of a human being. A little boy. Or if the couple is lucky, a little girl. It's sacred. Why? Why is it sacred? Because it's made in the image of God. It's created by God sacred and holy God, and it's made in his image, in his likeness. A human life is uniquely stamped with the image of God. Every human life, therefore, is of inherent, built-in value and deep-rooted dignity because it reflects the glory and the character of God. It's, it's a sacred life. That's the answer Sanctity of life is not a political issue. We're not gathered here this morning. I'm not talking about this as a political issue. It's not that. It's a theological issue. It's an issue about God and the nature of man who is created in the image of God. And it's an issue about bloodshed. It's about the killing of those image bearers. It's not primarily about women's rights or the child's rights, but it's about the rights of the creator. We see in Genesis, who's creating? God is. It's about his rights. It's about obeying him and doing what he determines is right. And, and he has determined it. He has been clear about this. What is right? I think biblical ethics can be complicated at times. A lot of issues biblical ethics deals with and nuances that are required in dealing with it. But I think, I think God's clear. 
in his word about this issue. Right? Exodus 23, 7. Do not kill the innocent. God's clear. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 17 says that they are an abomination to him. It's a sacred life, and God wants us to protect it, preserve it, do all we can. That's what's inside. It's created in the image of God. Which leads to our second question. If that's a sacred life created in God's image, and we're to protect it, at what point then did that life begin? At what point does this sacred life begin? The point of origin for a human life is, is a scientific question in many ways. There's an overwhelming amount of data available for us that helps us answer that question. But listen, guys, all that data available is pointing to what Scripture already affirms. Scripture already affirms this reality in God's Word. Everything in the Bible points to the fact that God creates human beings at the point of conception, endows them with His image, and orchestrates their development in the womb. Psalm 51.5. You guys know what that says? David is expressing to God. He confesses that he's been a sinner since conception. Right? He says, in sin... Did my mother conceive me? Which would require for David to be a person upon conception, given that only persons can have moral responsibility. So David is a person upon conception. In Psalm 139, 13, and 15, David praises God for forming his inward parts, for knitting and weaving him together in his mother's womb. Luke 1.15 says, John the baptizer will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He has a name. The Spirit knows of him, and he's forming him. So when did the sacred life begin? Scripture teaches it begins at conception. As soon as the chromosomes of egg and sperm meet, to put it in biological terms. By the way, the more advanced we become in the field of biology, the more we see this truth of Scripture affirmed. Princeton professor Robert P. George writes this, From a purely biological perspective, scientists can identify the point at which human life begins. The relevant studies are legion. The biological facts are uncontested. The method of analysis applied to the date is universally accepted. Human life begins at conception as a new, complete, living organism is created when egg and sperm fuse together, forming a human embryo. The late Dr. Jaime Gordon, another quote in your notes, she's the founder and director of the Mayo Clinic's world-renowned medical genetics program, submitted the following expert testimony before Congress. I think we can now also say that the question of the beginning of life, when life begins, is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It's an established scientific fact. 
Theologians and philosophers may go on debating the meaning of life or purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all of life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. Medical, scientific, and theological sources all agree that human life begins at conception. It's, it's really beyond debate. Scripture is clear. Human life that begins at conception, it's a sacred life. It's a life made in God's image. Therefore, we must do all we can to protect this life, to preserve the lives of unborn children. Listen, guys, a baby, a baby in a mother's arms deserves the same protection as a baby in a mother's womb. To do anything less is a grievous discrimination and injustice, not to mention it's an affront against our maker and one another. Scripture teaches there are grave consequences for those who shed innocent blood. And that's exactly what the act of abortion does. This leads to the third question. What is abortion? There's a lot of people out there who give different answers to this question. I think it's important we are able to articulate the answer to this question accurately and one that reflects the truth of the Bible. So I've given you a, a, a definition here. It says, an, ele- an elective abortion is a procedure where a living human, human being is removed from a woman's uterus in such a way that the unborn child's life is terminated. Most of us have never seen an abortion or pictures of one. But listen to this painful description from a woman who has. Her name is Abby Johnson, and she worked as a director for Planned Parenthood Clinic in Texas for eight years until she witnessed an actual abortion for the first time. She explained it in a television interview. It was actually an ultrasound-guided abortion procedure. And my job was to hold the ultrasound probe on this woman's abdomen so that the physician could actually see the uterus on the ultrasound screen. And when I looked at the screen, I saw a baby. I saw a full side profile. So I I saw face to feet. I saw the probe going into the woman's uterus. And at that moment, I saw the baby moving and trying to get away from the probe. And I thought, it's fighting for its life. It's life. I mean, it's it's alive. And then all of a sudden, I mean it was it was just over. And I, I just saw, I just saw the baby just literally just just crumble. And it, it was over. I was thinking about my daughter, who's three. And I was thinking about when she was 12 weeks in the womb. And I was just thinking, what, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I had one hand on this woman's belly, and I was thinking, there's life in here. And now, there's not. Abby Johnson quit her position at Planned Parenthood and is now working as an advocate for life. 
Abortion is murder. And, and the reason we're addressing this, guys, is because we live in a culture of abortion. And as Christians, we must know what the Bible teaches about this. We must know how to engage this culture. We actually, we live in the bloodiest era in world history. It's the era we live in. Abortion is now one of America's most common surgical procedures performed on adults. Since the Supreme Court's decision, about 50 million children have been killed as a result of legal abortions in the United States alone. That's like, that's like one every 20 seconds. It's estimated that one in three women in America under the age of 45 have had an abortion. It's even worse in China. The Chinese health ministry reported that more than 336 million children have been eliminated through abortion since 1971. Recently in the news, we learned of the horrific late-term abortion practices of Kermit Gosnell and now Douglas Carpin. There's now an iPhone app for teens in New York to freely download that tells teenage girls where they can go to either have an abortion or get the morning after pill without ever needing to get permission from their parents. I could go on just saying the reality is we live, we live in a culture of abortion. We live in a culture of death, don't we? It's all around us. It's just a picture, it's a reality of the fallen world we live in, the broken world we live in, that we all experience in our own broken lives. Listen, guys, knowing what abortion is, knowing that it, there's a sacred life, that it begins at conception, that abortion is the, is the termination of that life, is not enough. We're doing this because we want to equip you to engage. I think God calls us as Christians to respond to this culture of abortion, to this culture of death. He calls each one of us to engage. Proverbs 24.11 says this. Listen to this, guys. Rescue those, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. What shall we do? What then should we do? Rescue those who are being taken away to death and hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. What, what kind of death and slaughter is the proverb referring to here? Well, it just it doesn't say, it doesn't tell us. What kind of rescue or holding back are we to perform? Again, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but don't miss the principle. We must rescue the unborn. We must rescue those who are being taken away, who are being led to slaughter. We must hold back the horrific, systematic killing of innocent children known as abortion. We must hate abortion as God does and fight to protect the unborn children who are created in God's image. I don't have time to talk through a list of ways we can do that or how we can respond to specific objections. 
So I want you to know I've provided two resources for you to take with you as you leave today. Um, first here, this is a little resource by Randy Alcorn. It says, Ways to Help Unborn Babies and Their Mothers. I've got a list here of about 40, 41 different ways. I have a stack of these right here to my left. I encourage you guys to pick one of these up. It helps give you some ideas of how to help. And then I've got a little article here by John Piper. It's an excerpt called 15 Things to Consider About Abortion. That's right here on my left as well. I would encourage you guys to pick up also on your way out and read through this, guys. Help Look into this reality and see what the Lord stirs in you to help hold back those being led away to the slaughter. I also wanted to tell you guys about there's actually some ladies in the church, there's some men in the church as well, who are engaged in this, in our city, here. You may not know them. I have a, a list of folks here I wanted just to let you guys know about who can also probably provide some different opportunities for you to serve in the community. Um, Lori Sinak, Carmen Washington, Valinda Moscato, Sue Ellen Fallbacker, Claudio Rubio, and Frankie Batten, uh, Haraskis with In His Hands Ministries, Herman and Katrin Al with In His Hands Ministries. These are wonderful ministries we're supporting here, and these ladies are working at a pregnancy counseling crisis center. And they would be happy, to, I'm sure, to point you to any resources you can be engaged in with the city. And please do, please do pray for them as well. But I do want to say this, perhaps the most persuasive argument we can have in a ca casual conversation is this, right? I mean, we don't want to, in a casual conversation, just pull out a medical scientific reference book and start talking. We want to have a casual conversation. I think here's a persuasive argument we can have with somebody. This is something that everybody already knows, and it's this. There's, there's no debate, right, guys, that a toddler is a human being with legal protections on his or her life. So rather than taking out a medical textbook in the conversation, I'd recommend talking about a toddler. And it could look like this. There, there are only four differences between a toddler in the room and a baby in the womb. The toddler is bigger, more developmentally advanced, lives outside the womb, and is therefore independent. But here's the crucial point. None of these factors define who, or she, who he or she is. None of those factors define who he or she is. How big you are does not define who you are. How developed you are does not determine who you are. Where you are does not determine who you are. How dependent you are on another does not determine who you are. Either you are a human or you're not a human. No amount of size or development or location or dependency makes you more or less human than another. So if a toddler and unborn baby are equally human, then they should have the same basic rights to life. At the end of the day, any argument used to justify the killing of the unborn would equally apply to the killing of the already born. 
I think that's a helpful way, persuasive way to engage this conversation with others. There are also objections to abortion. I, I don't have time to go into all of them this morning. I think there's one that's pretty loud in our culture I do want to address. Uh, we often hear this, and that's the objection that women have the right to choose. I agree. I think women have the right to choose a thousand different things. They have the right to choose their husband. Amen, ladies? They have the right to choose their job, political candidates, and so on. The issue is not choice, per se. Rather, it is the object of that choice that's being debated here. It's not the choice, but it's the object of that choice that's being debated here. What we need to do is encourage people to finish that sentence. Let's just play that sentence out, right? Women have the right to choose. Choose what? Well, they have the right to choose an abortion, someone might say. An abortion of what? You could ask. We need to move beyond euphemism to get to the heart of the matter. Does anyone, here's the heart of the matter, does anyone have the right to choose to kill an unborn human being? If so, why not logically also have the right to kill an already human being, already born human being? You see the logic there. So it's not, it's not so much if you have a choice or not. It's the object of that decision that you're making. And the object is the determination of an unborn child, an unborn sacred life. I think we could go on answering objections. Uh, there are some good things to consider in this article over here that I've provided. It's helpful to reveal the absurdity and the monstrosity of abortion. Well, let me encourage you to do this, guys. Research it for yourself. Develop these convictions for yourself. There are plenty, plenty, plenty of resources out there. There's a website. You can write this down. I don't have any notes. It's called abort73.com that can help provide lots of information. There's also other websites, caseforlife.org, that can help as well. Encourage you to research this for yourself, develop your own convictions. Many of you have already done that, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm not telling you guys a lot of new stuff here. And I commend you for that. I commend all of you who are praying towards these ends. I think that's another thing we can do. Guys, we, we must pray. You heard the statistics, you heard the reality of the world we live in, what's going on, how women and men are suffering, how unborn children are suffering. Guys, we need to pray. We must pray. We ourselves, we're not able to win this battle. We can't change hearts or minds with our arguments. But God can. He can use those arguments. He can use our prayers to change the minds, to change the hearts of, of men and women. And some of you who work alongside these women and minister to women have seen that, haven't you? You've seen that. You've seen them go from a decision of, I'm going to have an abortion, to, I'm not going to. 
God can do that. He alone is able. We must turn from reliance on ourselves and ask him to act mightily. We must come to him as a church, I believe, and pray for this. I want to I be clear here, though, guys. God, I don't believe God is calling you to sign up for a political agenda. Okay, that's not what this is about. He's not calling you to care only about one issue. I don't know what, what or how he wants to use you in the fight against abortion. There are many ways. I don't know how, but I do know this. He does not give us the option of sitting this one out. That's just not an option. We must engage, and, and as we do, I believe he will give us the grace to not grow weary in doing good here. So what's in there? Sacred life. When does that sacred life begin? At the point of conception. What is abortion? It's a, it's a termination of that life. And we live in this culture. And there are many ways to battle this. There are many ways to engage this culture. We must pray. We must not grow weary in doing good. But guys, I don't want to end here. I want to conclude our time this morning talking about abortion. I know it's heavy. I know it's weighty. It's been weighty on me all week. I've been preparing for this. And I don't think it's appropriate for us as Christians to end our time this morning talking about abortion. What's appropriate for us as Christians in our time talking about is rather, it's redemption. It's redemption. We have hope. We have the only good news available to this world. And this, this gospel produces transformation, right? We, we wouldn't be here this morning apart from this good news. As Christians, the only appropriate way to conclude our time this morning, it's not talking about the reality of abortion. Rather, it's talking about the reality of redemption. Abortion is horrific. It's horrific. It ought to revolt our hearts. It ought to really shock our consciences. It ought to be something that keeps us awake at night. God says it's that bad. But abortion, guys, is not the most horrific crime that we humans have ever committed. We've done something far worse, something far more heart-revolting, something far more conscience-shocking than killing babies. The most chilling, nightmarish scream we've ever heard did not come from the murder of innocent unborn children. Rather, it came from the cross. It came from the voice of Christ on the cross. The murder of Jesus Christ. Where the perfect Son of God cried out on behalf of our broken world and our broken lives, my God, why hast thou forsaken 
me. Guys, nothing more harrowing or frightening has ever happened to another human being than being forsaken by God. And, and what happened to the man Jesus saw in Calvary when, while drowning in his own blood and bearing the weight of our sins, the wrath of God, the judgment we all deserve, fell on Jesus instead of us. The Father turned his face away from his only beloved Son. And Jesus paid for our sins with his death. He paid for all of our sins with his death. And God did this because through Jesus, he was coming to redeem this world. He was coming to redeem you and redeem me, redeem our fallen lives. He stepped into our brokenness, our sin and disease and pain, and he took it all on himself. And he died on the cross for all sins, not just the sin of abortion, but also the sin, friends, that's weighing you down this morning. Jesus died for that. God's promise of mercy and redemption to you come through the broken body of his son. And that's, that's the hope we have to hold out to this world. The broken body of Jesus Christ for sins. Now because of Jesus, guys, God will never leave or forsake you. He will never leave or forsake you. He forsook his son instead of you. And in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We're perfect, we're holy, we're saints, we're righteous in Christ. That's what defines us. Our sacred lives are made back into what they were in the beginning. God fixes what's broken in our lives. There's a million people out there whose lives are broken, who are broken specifically from this issue we talked about this morning. And we can hold out the broken body of Jesus too and say, here's your physician. Here's the only one who restores. Here's the only hope you'll ever have. Here's the only one who can fix things. Because of Jesus, you will never be abandoned. Even when even when the road seems hard, God will keep working in you. He's bigger than any sin you've ever committed or will commit. And He will order your life for good, church. One day, when we see Jesus face to face, we will utterly be changed to be like Him forever. There will be there will be no more killing because there will be no more sin. There will be no more screams and cries, just tears of joy and thanksgiving and gladness in Jesus Christ for what he has done. There will be perfect peace forever and ever. We long for that, don't we? 
perfect peace forever and ever. It's not a fairy tale. It is, actually. But it's true. That's where we're headed. That's the world we're going to. And we, we're, we're just making our way through this world on our way there. And God calls us to grab others and bring them with us. Say, join me in this. And there are millions of women and men who I think have experienced this tragedy of abortion. That know they need forgiveness. That know they need a savior. And we can hold this out too. This is, this is our hope, church. Jesus desires mercy. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Not the perfect, but the broken. May that be the hope we treasure. May that be what we walk out of here this morning more aware of than anything else. May we eagerly hold it out as true life. True life in this culture of death. Amen? Thank you guys for sitting with me through this. I pray that God uses this to encourage one another and to engage our culture to expose darkness with the light of the gospel. Remember, please, guys, pick up these little resources right here. also want to point you to one resource we have in our bookstore. It's called Healing After Abortion. It's just this little booklet right here, CCEF. Very, very helpful by David Pallison. Please pick up a copy of that as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we can have truth, uh, we can have light, a lamp to walk by in this dark world, Lord. We can see, we can see truth from error. We can see what's in there. We can see how much it matters to you, God, and how much it should therefore matter to us. We can see when, when that sacred life began. Lord, and then as we, as we look out into our world and our culture, we see just the horrific reality of abortion. And we thank you, God, that we can take this truth we see in your word and walk into this world with hope to offer. We thank you that we know we are forgiven in Jesus Christ and that you sent your son for these very sins, Lord. That he died on our behalf. And he rose. And we rose with him to new life. Now death has lost its sting. Sin has been removed from us. From standing between us and God. Now we have acceptance. We have access. We have forgiveness from our Father. And we thank you that. And I pray we now, Lord, Consider how we might hold that out to this world. How we might engage this world. How we might love our neighbors who've experienced this. Lord, thank you for this day. We get to come together and worship you and rejoice in the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's truly a day of celebration in the midst of a fallen world. But Lord, we...
as we, as we see how fallen this world is, it helps, us, it helps us be even more thankful of the world to come and the life we will have with you forever and the reality that we are your children. We pray these things through Christ's name. Amen.